Church, our Gilroy campus. It's good to see all your faces here. Um, we have been going through a series on the book of James over the past uh, five weeks so far. This is our sixth week. We are almost done. And uh, I rolled the hard one, so I get a real difficult sermon for you guys. One of the things about James is you can, you can tell he's very practical, right? We always hear this, he's very practical. Well, today, he's downright prophetic and punches you in the face, right? So it's not me doing it. It's him doing it. It's God doing it through James. Um, but hopefully I think we'll make it through and we will see that there is true grace in our king. Amen? All right. So last week we talked about uh, the tongue and how it can light a fire. Right? Something so small, something like a bridle in a horse or the rudder on a ship is so small, but yet it can control so much. It can cause so much to happen. Um, which makes me want to talk about name-calling, okay? Um, It's funny. When you're called names, um, I'll give you an example. I just had Thanksgiving with my family. It was awesome. My brother and his family came into town from Ohio. Anyone from Ohio? All right, awesome. We got one person from Ohio. Welcome. Enjoy the warmth. Um, By the way, I forgot to ask. Biggest turkey. Greg Whitaker, put your hand down because I know you are. Um... (laughs) Biggest turkey for Thanksgiving, anybody? 30? Okay, so where's Matt Armstrong? Your dad said 32. Oh, my gosh, that's insane. I was saying, that's not even a turkey, that's a pig. <laughs> you know, what, what is that? Where do you find a 32-pound turkey? Because the, you're running from it, first of all. <laughs> anyway, 32 pounds, man, that's insane. That is insane. Okay, name-calling. Um, family over for Thanksgiving, my sister's in town. It was an awesome experience. But it reminded me of something about us. Um, long ago and far, far away, my brother and I started these, these names for each other. Um, I called him Lulu because he was a loser. <laughs> and he called me Monkey. And that was because I was the product of monkeys making me. So he basically says I wasn't part of the family. I was just a monkey. Right? So, but it's funny. Um, there is, there's no truth to these claims, right? But so we, we enjoy them. They, these are terms of endearment. My, my brother calls me and goes, monkey, monkey. And he, that's how he, it's like Japanese. How many of you are Japanese? It's mush, mush, eight. It's like that. But he says, monkey, monkey. Right? And so I'm not offended by this because there's really no truth to the claim. Right? But there are times when people say something about us where there is even an iota of truth. And it changes things, right? If any one of you said I was fat, I would have to agree a little bit, right? (laughs) Especially after Thanksgiving. There's something um, that's true. Is it fully true? Am I like the fattest human being? No. But, But I could choose to do one of two things with that information. I can absolutely reject it. And just deny all and, and fight and argue and, you know, the things we do in our culture everywhere now over, you know, Frosted Flakes, what's better, Cap'n Crunch, Crunch Berries, Peanut Butter Crunch. Thank you, Crunch Berries. Okay. Um, but you see, we can take a little bit of truth and we can ignore it or we can actually respond to it. Usually, the times you're most upset with someone is because they've made a truth claim about you you don't like, but it does have a level truth. The reason why I tell you that is we just got through a whole section of James where he's saying the tongue can light a forest on fire. 
we can do damage as we talk to people. But he's about to call, call his people a name. He's literally going to get into the name-calling thing, but I'm going to show you that there's a difference here. Okay? Um, in order to prepare for today, we kind of need to, I'm going to do a little bit of backtracking. If you go to the very first chapter, a lot of this book is about two paths. In the very beginning, opening few verses, it talks about those that are faithful, if they remain steadfast, they will become whole and perfect. But a little bit further down, it talks about, hey, if you let your desires take over, desire leads to sin, gives birth to death. Two paths. Right? And, and, and the fact of the matter is, is whether it's an internal or an external uh, pressure, internal being, hey, I have a passion for something, I want something to happen, I don't want something to happen, um, I don't like what, someone's going, what someone is saying to me, so I just, you know, I go after them. That's an internal passion. External might be you literally. It starts out, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Those are external pressures that can be happening. But either way, whether internal or external, be these two paths that you can float down. And much of the book is actually taking us in different ways down these two paths, pointing out what do these paths look like. Right? And, and often it's couched in the, in the language of uh, wisdom. So here you can see, there is basically, there are the faithful side, and don't, don't let it go to your head, faithful and the desirous. So it's not a negative thing, I'm just trying to show you that there's these two paths. You can see some, if we, if we look down through the text, you'll see some of these qualities that it talks about. A faithful asks for wisdom, the, the desirous doubts and is double-minded. The faithful is steadfast under trial, the desirous is deceived by oneself. Quick to hear versus slow or not hearing. We have slow to speak, an unbridled tongue, slow to anger, undefiled, unrighteous, and wicked. You see the pattern that is happening here. The faithful hear and, and do, whereas the desirous may hear only. The faithful persevere and act, the desirous forgets. You can actually look at James and you see that he's, he's showing the, these two paths here and there's characteristics of each that you have to be aware of. Now, you have to think about this. James in general, my opinion is that James is really written mostly to Jewish Christians, Christians who actually grew up in a Jewish faith. So they, they can take uh, some notes and, and code from what James is saying and take more out of it than we can. And I'm going to try to point out a few of those things. But you have to know this. If he's talking to a Jewish population, he's going to speak to them in a very particular way using very particular language. And that's what we're going to see today using things like wisdom and prophetic and so forth. Okay? All right. So going right back to the beginning, one of the first things it says is, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously, also seen as singularly or, or like wholly on one thing, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. James is basically saying, hey, ask God. But he says, don't be double-minded. Don't be thinking about this as if it's, fe it's feeding one of your desires, but not the godly one. Don't, don't, don't play two sides of this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you ask God. What is asking God? That's prayer. You're actually coming, you're drawing near to God and asking him for wisdom. So what does this wisdom look like? Because it's a very loaded word. Wisdom in the Old Testament is chokmah. We've talked about it a little bit. There are actually, there's a whole genre of books called wisdom literature, things like Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. But you will see, if you, if you look at any one of them, you read Job a little bit, you read Psalms a little bit even, Proverbs, 
you will see that fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says it several times. It has it slightly changed. Sometimes it's fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Sometimes it says fear of the Lord is wisdom. But what they're doing is they're saying, look, you can't look at wisdom like our culture. I, I, I want you guys to know, you can't look at wisdom like our culture does. L- literally, wisdom is like, okay, I'm, I'm this old, so I have a bit more wisdom. I have some, some skill and understanding of things. And I think the biblical idea of wisdom is much greater than that. It's basically my mind and my heart are working in unison toward a godly goal. That is, it is we are, I am aligned and operating, not just with skill, but with full motivation toward what God wants. Chokmah. But in order to, for you to really get this, I'm going to read you a little something. If anyone brought their Bible, you can open up to Proverbs 8, 12. I'd like to hear relief. You guys are all swiping through phones. It's really, you wish someone should make that sound for the swiping of the phone. So take a moment and just, just listen to this. I'm going to read you just a little snippet from Proverbs 8. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth, When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or with the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above. When he established the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. Okay. Wisdom just talked to you. Wisdom is a characteristic of God that literally took on, took on personified, it, it was, it, it and it was there with God at the beginning. What does that mean? I want you to use this. This is a framework for you. Now, you're not going to understand a lot of the Old Testament stuff, but I want you to know wisdom was characterized as literally a person. Lady wisdom in uh, Proverbs 31. I mean, you just, there's a lot of these things that overlap, and you'll see that part of God's character literally is wisdom. You have to start with that. If we're going to talk about the wisdom today, you have to get beyond just like a skill set and a maturity, Okay? So that is wisdom, and that gets us set for today. Today, you're going to see these answers to questions about these two paths of wisdom. What do they look like? What do they lead to? Where do they come from? How to gain? 
wisdom. Now, a lot of this is going to focus on one negative and some on the positive, but you're going to see sprinkled throughout, you're going to get answers to these questions of these two paths of wisdom, one I would call so-called wisdom or worldly wisdom. Okay? All right, so look for these answers. We jump in, and I can't read that far away. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, practical James. We can actually kind of itemize it here. He's kind of calling them out, saying, okay, here's one path. This is what this wisdom looks like, and this is what this wisdom looks like. All of the red text up there, that is the wisdom of the world. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, being false to the truth, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. We will get back to that. Jealousy, selfish ambition again, disorder, and every vile practice. And on the positive side, we ran through that at the end. There's a meekness, right? But the wisdom above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. For those of you who need to see it in a different way, this is the way of just looking at it. You've got wisdom from above, from below. It's pretty straightforward. Two paths. Same two paths of, of these wisdom you can choose. Okay? One leads to disorder, which, by the way, the word disorder here is like chaos. It is tumultuous. Like, imagine all of us in the room all of a sudden started getting up and punching each other in the neck, right? This is disorder. This is a very strong word. Peace is something that we need to think about differently as well. Peace is more of a shalom. Shalom does not just mean like, oh, peace. It is literally wholeness, being fully the way you were supposed to be, bringing you into the perfect utilized you, basically, you and your most perfect frame. That is the piece we're talking about here. So this wisdom produces shalom, and this wisdom creates chaos and punching in the neck. Okay? All right, straightforward. Now, so that's what it looks like. What, it, what might it lead to? What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You hear a little bit of that callback to ask for wisdom. But it's basically saying, yeah, you don't even ask. But when you do ask, it's for the wrong thing. There are quarrels, fights among you, war within you, fight and quarrel. Do you get a sense for the relational discord that this is talking about? There is absolute, and actually the Greek word for quarrels here that's used those two times, it's polemeo. It's, it's where we get our word polemic. Anyone heard polemic? It's like, two, like absolute uh, no agreement. I mean, it's basically, it is what our culture is. Here, you don't even know what polemic is. Look, out, look outside. Read the news. Read the news. People do. They argue about your favorite cereal. Get on Twitter and, you know, people will somehow think you're evil and start tweeting about you and retweeting evil things about you and such, right? For usually small things. No one comes to the table and debates anymore. The open conversations of the past are gone. 
Because if we disagree, that gives me full permission to basically take you out of the knees. Why not? You understand what James is faced with. He's saying, hey, look, note, by the way, among you. This is not like outside. This is not like James is talking to him, the people outside of the church. He's basically saying, no, 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 no. This is happening among you. There are actually scholars who believe, you know, it does say covet and murder, but maybe that murder is just, no, actually some believe that murder might be real. That there could have literally been people inside the church that killed someone else because they weren't following, you know, it's, it's like the Old Testament thing, right? The Maccabean thing. When you have zeal for the Lord, you take out someone who doesn't. That's possible. That could be happening here. But this is what's happening among you. And what's causing it? Your passions, you desire, you murder, you covet, you ask wrongly, your passions. Go back to that first path, right? Got faithful, steadfast, perfect. You have desire, passion, sin, death. James is pointing to the very people within the church and saying, do you understand what's going on here? Do you understand the relational strife that's actually happening because of the way you guys are responding to things? And this is where it gets rough. And again, this is the Bible talking. It's not me. But this is harsh. You have to understand. Remember this Jewish thing. These are people who are saturated in the Old Testament. The Torah is what they knew. And it starts out, you adulterous people. Do you not know the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he made to dwell in us? So if there's anyone in here that has read the Old Testament, you know that James went all prophetic in just a second. One word. He was talking about wisdom. A lot of people talk about James being wisdom literature. This right here, my friends, James just, just shifted gears because he said, you are adulterous. That is the language that God used for Israel through the prophets. He said, you guys, <laughs> there's actually some really awful stuff I probably shouldn't even say. He basically says, you're kind of like a prostitute who actually pays men to, be, to do adultery on, and then you come back to me. This is, this is like the height of prophetic language. When you were a friend of the world, you were an enemy of God. Israel was acting like an enemy of God. Adultery language is what was used in Isaiah and Jeremiah and some of the smaller prophets. Probably the biggest one being Hosea. If anyone has read Hosea, it's crazy. It's a small prophetic book, and it basically, for all intents and purposes, it's God telling a guy named Hosea, go name a girl named Gomer. By the way, don't ever name your child Gomer. <laughs> go marry Gomer. She's a prostitute, that's okay. And when she goes off and continues to be adultering everywhere, you want to go buy her back. And do you know why I want you to do that, Hosea? Because Israel, you're, this is exactly how I'm looking at you. This is how I see Israel. You are an adultering bride. These are tough words, man. This is hard stuff. This is exile language. The prophets warned Israel, and Israel gets sent off into exile. But this is New Covenant prophetic words. 
but there's a little bit of hope. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, who is gracious. Resist the devil, and he will flee for you. You see, there's, you can kind of see where the stuff is coming from now. The wisdom from above and the wisdom from below. There's a source that's happening here. You submit to God, you resist the devil. And this actually points to there's a pattern that's going on. Maybe you've seen it throughout James. I'm going to show a little verse numbers on the left side there, but at the end of the day, I just want you to pay attention to some of these verses, and I'm just going to take portions of them. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. One that does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You believe that God is one. Even the demons believe and shudder. The tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. There is a building theme throughout James that's showing that you can deceive yourself, but know that there's one who wants you deceived. There's one who wants you on this path. Whatever he wants, you need to be on this path. That's what the other source wants. You need to be just desires and passions galore. Rock and roll, man. Haven't you read any ads lately? You just do whatever you want to do. Seek your own pleasure. Even if it costs someone else, it's okay. Find what makes you happy. You're coming into the Christmas season. Many of us in here, including me, I like to buy things that makes me feel good for about 15 minutes till I need to buy something else. We do this. We seek pleasure in things that cannot provide pleasure. But this running theme is showing you behind this deception, there is one who lurks, wanting you to do anything to be over here. But James is saying, no, 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 you resist that path. And you submit to God. And it says, Satan, he will flee. The devil will flee from you. But see, here's the thing. When you hear demonic, you guys can call out stuff. If you hear demonic, what do you think of? Demons. Okay, that's fair. It's in the word. What do we got? One more. Devil. Okay. Devil, demon. We got both those. (laughs) Chihuahuas. That's Isaac. Yeah. Isaac, chihuahuas. They're demonic. Hey, what about like Ouija boards? What about Wicca? We're close enough to Santa Cruz. There's a bunch of Wicca going on. There are people who literally worship Satan. In fact, I'm going to give you a picture right here. Oh, wait. Actually, I need to do two paths first. So this is basically a summary of those two paths. You have disordered, polemical, demonic. You have peaceful, meek, humble, from God. These are the two paths. Who's that? Does anyone know who that is? Richard Ramirez. How many of you were in San Francisco or L.A. when Richard Ramirez was on the haunt? Anybody? This guy was a serial killer, rapist. He did awful, awful things. I remember being afraid. My brother was home alone, actually, that summer um, when he was coming. Because he would come in. People, especially in Southern California, it was warm enough. People would leave their windows open, doors open, and he would come in, and he would just wreak his own chaos and disorder every vile practice you can think of. You see, he's got a pentagram on his hand. When you guys think demonic, oftentimes you think of him. But is that what James is saying? Is James saying, don't put pentagrams on your body? Is James saying don't kill people? I think he's making it much more simple. When you are jealous, when you have selfish ambition, when you are striving 
in relationship against someone else, when you are impart, when you're not impartial, when you are partial to those that are like you, do you see? James is saying, underneath all of this, we want to think that this demonic big thing is Richard Ramirez. When in reality, he's saying, hey, when you in your heart have a selfish ambition that would run over someone else, do you understand that that, that is actually stoked by the fires of the demons in hell? Do you see that? This is what I'm saying. This is a, I have to preach this passage. It's not happy. It's hard. But it's true. It's true. So I think we all need to recalibrate how we see the demonic. And I'm not saying look for demons under everything. You know, when the chair, when you miss the chair and don't sit on it, it wasn't the demon pulled a chair out from under you. You just are <laughs> jacked up with your eyes. Right? I'm fat. That's because I need a diet. That's just true. Okay. So you, you, you get what's going on here. You adulterous people. Do you realize that you're toying with the demonic? But there is good news. There is. I lied earlier. It wasn't really a lie. I just kind of misdirected you. It's like an illusionist. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now, if any of you read this and like, this is the way I need to live the rest of my life, that's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying. He's saying when you are choosing the demonic, when you are choosing your own passions and desires, when you are faced with external pressure and you take it out on other people, like you want that new job and there's someone else who might be as good as you and you're fighting with them, so maybe you give a little word about how, yeah, they weren't doing that very well, and you see what I'm saying? That this is a demonic thing. You are being deceived and you are deceiving yourself. Uses this language of cleanse your hands, you sinners. There's one of those names. So you're adulterers, you're sinners, and you're double-minded at this point. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. This is, by the way, if, if you look in the, the Old Testament, there was a thing called the temple, and in the temple, heaven and earth met. It was the place where God resided with his people, and there were priests that you would go to the temple and you would receive forgiveness of sins through sacrifice. You would go there and you would cleanse your hands and you would purify your hearts. You would go, you would seek out God at the place where heaven and earth met. He's using temple language. They're, these are Jewish Christians. They understand this. They hear it and they're saying, no, we need to what? We need to repent. Be wretched, mourn, weep, laughter, to mourning, joy, to gloom. Do you get this process of argument he's saying is, look, when you are seeing that you're on this side, I am stuck in this path. It's time to repent. It's time to confess. It's time to recognize. You, you need to be the best introspective person that you possibly can. You need to hear an enemy say something about you, maybe call you a name, and look for the truth claim and see if it is actually true because that means there's still change to be had 
the God of the universe isn't done with any of us. So confession, repentance. It says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This is all getting to this word that none of us really like. You can never say it about yourself, right? I'm, I'm pretty humble. Really? Right? <laughs> but you, you want to be seeking it. You want to be seeking. How is it that I am not viewing myself in reality? What is it I need to be comparing myself against? Because as Christians, if, for those of you in here that profess the king, you know that he is the image we look to. And we fall woefully short. I mean, like, woefully short. But the cool thing is, that's exactly why he chased after us. That's exactly why he took on flesh. There's actually a story in the gospel that actually talks so. Jesus actually tells this story. Listen to this. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself, say it, I love how this is written. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. He's doing religious activity. It's true. But you see what James would say here. James would say, hey, look, you're saying you're not an adulterer, but you know that your people have been called an adulterer before. You know that this is exile language. You know that God warned the people that they were actually going after other gods. They weren't, uh, they weren't just and righteous in their acts toward their internal people and their external people. But he says, I'm not like an adulterer. Compare that against, but the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Sound familiar? God, Be merciful to me, a sinner. Do you say that? Do you ever pray that? Do you ever? Because this is, this is it, folks. Because no matter how good you are doing in the Christian faith, you still aren't perfected. God's not done with you yet. And thank him mightily. I know, I know the brokenness in my own heart. You guys look at me, I'm like a pastor. Whatever. I got my own issues. Now, I am called to be an example, and I will do that as hard as I can. But I'm going to tell you, you saw sometimes how I probably don't treat my wife as, I, as well as I could. I don't treat my kids as well as I, I should. I actually feel like I noticed after this Thanksgiving, I'm kind of a bad brother. I'll get that in a second. James finishes his list and says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And it's interesting because Jesus said things like this. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears fruit. 
man, that, that, that captures humility. It's a dying to oneself. It's a dying to my own desires and passions unless they align with exactly what God wants. Unless I'm over on them. Is it this side? I can't remember now. I think it's this side. You guys are the good people. Evil. Right? So, unless I'm aligning with this side, I, I have to understand that, man, I am, I am not all that in a bag of chips. I'm just not. Not. I'm not bringing a ton to the table, but God's not done with me yet. So you see this picture of Jesus who would write parables like this. And you see him say things like the grain of head dropping to earth and then dying on behalf of us. Man, that's some powerful stuff. And it's pointing to a path that looks very different than most of us really want. Am I willing to expire myself on behalf of God and the things he wants, which is usually loving God and loving others, right? Am I willing to do that? Because that's humility. That takes a very serious self-knowledge, a self-awareness. I'm going to go ahead and uh, we're going we're to have communion. We're going to have the communion people come forward. Worship in. If you want to come hang up here for a couple minutes, you're up to do that. Um, I was thinking about Thanksgiving, and it really does bring me back. I don't think I'm a very good brother. I'm thinking about with my sister and with my brother. Um, but I have so much to be thankful for. I am thankful for them. They're awesome. I had an awesome family life. I love my mom. I love my sister. But I'm the schmuck who doesn't call them all the time. I, I don't reach out. Did you really, this Thanksgiving, did you really, really, I, I noticed that we breezed through the prayer about what we're thankful for. Do you realize how much you have to be thankful for? Most of all, the humble one who would fall to the earth and die so that there would be much fruit. The very cross of Christ is something that we must stand in all the time, knowing that he sacrificed such that we would have a way. But I want to turn, so me being a bad brother, I, I want you to think about this for a second. And this, that, I think this gives a poignancy to James's words. Most scholars, and I myself, I'm not a scholar, but I believe the same thing, that James, who wrote this, this epistle, was the half-brother of Jesus. So he grew up with Jesus, likely. He was around him a lot of the time. Scripture would show us he didn't really believe that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, he and his mom and, they, they, and his other siblings went and looked for him one time saying, hey, he's crazy. Now, he also watched his brother die, not believing in him. He was not there for his brother. So have you thought about that? Have you thought about the impact that has on what he's doing after the cross and the resurrection? Oh man, he believes in his brother now. He's piping off. Virtually everything in this book is coming from his brother's teachings. He's now leading the church in Jerusalem based upon what his brother lived out. Even when he didn't believe him when he was there, he had to die and resurrect for him to actually get on board. So I feel like I look at myself and how I, treated my, how I treat my brother, I'm not good. But I, I, James wasn't either. But yet, he would write these things. So have you been, 
I mean, really think about this season. We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much hope ahead of us. If you call yourself a Christian, you have the hope of eternity in goodness with no more disease, no more brokenness, no more strife, no more selfish ambition, no more jealousy, because you have a king. You have a king who loves you. You have a God who would chase you down, you adulterous whore. Yeah, I said it. It's me too. But yet this husband, knowing that his spouse is an adulteress, chases her down, grabs her and says, I love you, come back. Do you get this? Do you Thankfulness, this is something we get thankful for. You have to know this. And here's one way. So we're going to stand. We're going to take communion together. There is one of Jesus' most famous sermons. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, he said things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Hmm. He'd say things like, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. He said, blessed are the meek because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who are merciful, they will receive mercy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, they will see God. Blessed are those who are peacemakers because they will be called the sons of God. See, God and Jesus do this naming thing, too. They call names. So as we go to take communion, I want you to think about this. God calls you blessed. He calls you a son of God. When you say, I I want on this path, I know I'm going to skip over there every now and then. I know your spirit's with me, and I'm going to grow, and I'm going to be transformed. When you have that humility in you, God says, yes, blessed. Yes, son of the Most High. Do you see? You're following the king. And what happens is is when we're not humble, I think what we do, even though you can't possibly do this, you take the crown off of the head of Jesus. You don't respect the crown at least. So I'm asking you today, as we take communion, maybe there's someone you need to confess or repent. You need to repent to God with or you need to confess to someone. Maybe you need to seek amends. Maybe you need to... Um, apologize. Maybe you just were mean during Thanksgiving. You had too many cocktails or too much tryptophan. I don't know what it is. The bottom line is maybe there's something you need to do, and this is a perfect reason to do it because we're saying, hey, we're on this path. We want to be faithful, steadfast, and we want God to perfect us because the wisdom that comes down from above, you cannot work up. You cannot, there's no incantation that you can make to get this wisdom. There's nothing like that. This wisdom only comes from the king of the universe. And you have to ask for it, wanting it, wanting all of its implications, maybe even a cross. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus broke bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Let's take the bread. And 
afterwards he took a blood or a wine and he said, look, this cup, it's the new covenant offered in my blood. This is me reminding you, yeah, no matter how you are, I still want you as my wife. I will make you clean. I will purify you. I will give you wisdom. Let's take a cup. Father God, I thank you so much for all that you're doing in all of our hearts. We look for transformation that your spirit would bring. We do not want to remain the same way that we are now. We have passions and desires that we should not. But we know and trust that through our faithfulness and through being steadfast that you will change our inner being. Our heart has been changed. You are tapping something new in all of us. I pray that we would look like this community as we leave this building. I pray that people who need to confess, people who need to seek repentance, that they would. And I pray for those in here that actually may have heard this message pretty hard. I pray that they would see your love your hope because those things that happened to them they didn't cause your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in all of our hearts in Jesus name Bye. Bye.